Hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, Nikki C, and welcome to another episode of Life Got in the Way, a podcast that is dedicated to growing, learning, and achieving our lifelong goals. Today's special guest is Dr. LaShonda T. Green, an MBA and licensed clinical psychologist who has interpersonal savvy and business acumen that'll help change your life and the way you do business. She earned her doctorate in clinical psychology from the American Psychological Association, an accredited program at LaSalle University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Several years prior, Dr. Green achieved her Master of Business Administration from the Association to Advanced Collegiate Schools of Business, also an accredited school of business at LaSalle University. All right, everyone, are you ready to learn more about Dr. Green? Okay, let's go. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me on Life Got in the Way. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to uh, hear what you have to say. This is, um, you are our first uh, clinical psychologist on the platform, and so I think you, your wealth of knowledge and what you bring to the table will be very uh, beneficial for the listeners. So I'm very excited that you could join us today. All right, so this podcast is uh, called Life Got in the Way, and it's all about you know, how uh, life can get in the way of us achieving some of our goals. And, you know, before we even get into how life can get in the way of others, you know, or how we can help others, I like to talk to the guests to see, you know, what what is their story? So just kind of give us a little little background about yourself to, to get us started. Well, I was born in the city of Camden, New Jersey, and that's significant because um, apparently nothing good comes out of Camden, but I made uh, a liar out of those people. Um, I born and raised in South Jersey, uh, the metro Philadelphia area, um, went to school for Rutgers for marketing and business undergrad, then transferred to... Um, LaSalle University for my master's in business administration. Uh, I have a concentration in finance. And so while I was working on my master's and coming to the completion of that, uh, I did a stint. Uh, I continued my stint in the private sector, but then I thought there's more to me and my skill set than just focusing on increasing shareholder value, which is the mantra of every MBA program, right? Our goal is to just increase shareholder value. But there was a, a human component that I was missing that I felt that I was born for or that I felt was missing as a natural fit. And so after much prayer, I said, hey, you know, what, what's what's next? I'm a very uh, ambitious, goal-oriented person, so I always like and prefer some sort of goal. 
uh, ahead. I can't just sort of simmer. I can't simmer. I can't plateau. So I went to, I applied to the uh, clinical psychology program at LaSalle University. Didn't think I was going to get in, but I did. And that was in 2000, (laughs) hey, 2006, I got accepted, completed my degree in 2013, which is seven years. And seven is God's number of completion. So I felt it was right. I did it in the time that was for me. Typically, the program is five years, but I did it in the time that they allow, which is seven. And so finished at the end of August 2013. Yes. Okay, well, congratulations. That is such a a really um, unique uh, background to have an MBA and to um, the psychology component. Thank you. um, So you mentioned that uh, um, you mentioned that you wanted to do the human component. Mm-hmm. So there's so many different avenues of of finding that human element in in careers. What made you choose psychology particularly? What was chosen for me, I had to pray about it. Um, it's not something that people of color, black people do. We are a minority in the field of psychology. Um, I think it's, it's maybe one to 2% of us are at the doctoral level probably even a smaller number than that. So I didn't know that that's what I was going to be or who I was going to be. I actually stumbled through the program trying to find out my niche, uh, my forte, my skill set, where I found myself to be most impactful. It really was I stumbled all the way through. I didn't really have a clear course of action. Um, The Lord dropped it in my spirit to pursue this degree. And bit by bit, it was revealed to me what I was going to be good at, where I was going to flourish, where I wasn't, what my interests were, where they were not. So it was a lot of trusting because I didn't have the full plan ahead of me. I just knew that this was the path, but I didn't know what to expect along the path. So it really was a major faith walk. Um, It was a huge risk, not in that I was like attempting to climb Mount Everest, but in that it was a totally new field and one in which there were very few minorities. So I didn't have a role model. There wasn't anybody that I was really modeling myself after. There wasn't a roadmap. So it was risky in that regard. Okay. Um, Yes. Sometimes it was a risk that was worth taking. And it's always good when we are um, led, led, um, you know, spiritually uh, to find our right path. So you, you talked about this idea of, it wasn't a lot of uh, therapists or people that you had to look up to, black um, therapists that you had to kind of give you like a roadmap to how to how to right. go about it. When it comes to treatment, um, in in terms of the quality of care amongst uh, different ethnicities, have you noticed any disparities or differentiation in treatment among? the various ethnic groups? No, um, I can speak from my doctoral training and I will say that although it was predominantly white and predominantly white female, that my colleagues were just as adamant about being proficient and competent irregardless of who they sat in front of. Contrary to popular opinion amongst people of color, we do not sit down and decide that we are going to provide substandard treatment. So it's not a conscious decision, and it's not even a a secondary uh, decision. Uh, It does appear that way, but everything is not always as it seems. People at this level, 
take we take the profession very seriously because it's a privilege to have a license. It's not a right. And so given that it is a privilege to have a license, we do uh, regard that very seriously and we take whoever we sit in front of very seriously. So even though I try to tell people of color, it really doesn't, it's not a guarantee that just because you sit across from a, a black therapist that you're going to get your needs met. You know, it's not a guarantee. It just doesn't work like that. And it's not a guarantee that you will not have your needs met if you're sitting in front of a non-person, a non-BIPOC person. That That's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee either way. I will say that there are certainly different experiences, right? Because with a white psychologist, they're probably going to be unafraid. Um, they're, they're sort of lack of cultural connectivity gives them the space to ask difficult questions. Whereas someone who is black may already feel like or think that they know how you feel or they know where you're coming from. So the tendency to assume and presume will likely be the case in a situation where you have a black therapist or BIPOC therapist versus a non-BIPOC therapist. Right. So they're going to have more of the freedom to say question, probably where you need to be questioned, whereas someone who looks like you has the same hair texture, same color may give you a pass where you need to be challenged. You know, may uh, a, a BIPOC person may be more empathic, but you may need to be pushed. So mm-hmm. there is a bit of a it's a catch 22, really. So I say focus on the competence, the passion, the longevity of the clinician and not so much their color or race because research does say that what accounts for a treatment outcome in a therapeutic setting are client characteristics it's it's not me it's it's the client it's not us it's the client yes ah uh, that's a, i love that perspective because like you you hear that you know for sometimes it uh sometimes a lot of people want to be closer to something familiar but mm-hmm. familiar doesn't always necessarily mean that it's going to be right for you right and someone who may have a different background doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be able to relate but right. i think that it is just it's it's a necessary like you said the catch 22 of having both dynamics so it's mm-hmm. very interesting to be able to kind of see that now and and when you talk about it from that perspective i really uh agree with uh that that idea um because i because the you want your uh therapist to be as objective as possible right and when we come in as people of color we we come in already with so much communal um concepts and and constructs that we share that could unintentionally work against us in treatment mm-hmm. and that's yeah. just like even even as humans we come in with uh, different ideas mm-hmm. and um, 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 ideologies uh, I remember I was watching the, the segment that you did with uh, Taraji P. Henson on her peace of mind yes and you talked about um, there was a, a, a point in the segment where you guys were talking about the idea of the mental breakdown and mm-hmm. you said that that wasn't the clinical term. Right. So we, we now we go through this idea of um, fast forward to even now, like the, the whole Will Smith uh, situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as people who were watching, we're just like, Oh, he just had a mental breakdown, you know, right. we just, but you know, we're, we're basing our non-clinical, you know, right. we're putting that out there. What, in, in, in your opinion, um, with that whole thing and how it transpired, 
because I remember I did my research and I looked at not re- well I you know I followed uh, his career and you hear mm-hmm. about his stories from his book and you hear you know Jada on her table talks when you actually watch the whole episode not clip bites and so you kind of got a lot of their what they were really saying but just that idea that people weren't really listening to kind of what they were saying and from a professional perspective as someone who also I don't know if you saw it uh, what did what did you what was your take on it well, from a clinical perspective, right, there is always a space between stimulus and response, right? Stimulus is a thing that triggers you, and response, obviously, is an action, right? And we think about it theoretically, um, we, that's what we're going to do. You can have uh, something that triggers you. It could be a person that says something. It could be a place that you are. It could be a thing, an object, right? And then there's how you respond to that. It does often seem like it's one one sweeping behavior. Something triggers you, you respond. It's so quick, it seems like they are fused together. Your trigger and your responding, right? That's what whether or not people uh, know that they do. They come to therapy to widen the space so that in between the, the person that curses you out, the person that offends you, the thing that triggers you or reminds you of some uh, previous abuse, there is a space that's created that allows you to make a decision what you will decide to do, right? There are options, you have to allow yourself to have the options, regardless of what's triggering you triggering you in the external environment. The onus and the responsibility will always be on you to decide how to respond. Regardless of the nature of the trigger, it never abs- absolves you of your responsibility to choose wisely. It, is it fair? We can debate that to the cows come home. Uh, that's a non, it, it doesn't matter if it's fair. It's what is, right? Yeah. It's what yeah. is. Something triggers you, you have to decide, do I respond? Do I hit? Do I walk away? In that moment, Will Smith, being triggered, made a decision to mm. assault. He made a de- And that's the language that people don't necessarily want to use when they're triggered because we like the victim mentality absolves us of any sort of conscious problem solving right Mm -hmm. that's what that is he made a decision and you don't hear the language especially from our people to say that that's what happened oh he was experiencing this and he was experiencing this and he no you're placing him in a um, in a deficit in a in a one down position to say that he had no self-control he did a man decided to hit another man after he was offended. That's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a decision. He and made the decision. It was so interesting how they threw Jada in there. It's all her fault because she made him feel this way. And I was like, That's interesting. Uh, they, <laughs> you can't, you can't, my, my feelings can't make you do anything, right? We mm-hmm. draw these, uh, it's called, it's cognitive fusion. I won't get into that. Your feelings can't make me do anything. It's impossible. You cannot make me do anything. You can rant. You can rave. You can pout. You can ignore me. You can call me anything under the sun. But at the end of the day, the decision to respond, the nature of how I'm going to respond rests with me and me solely. Yes. Yeah. It's just like even with the 
where it's a physical thing or even with our language our, our yes people are just like you know what i just say whatever comes to mind and i'm like well you had a moment where you didn't have to say what you said <laughs> right right and <laughs> you know? And people like to say use their pain or their being offended or their being hurt as a justification to behave poorly. That's a sign of emotional immaturity. Every time you respond negatively and you revert back to, well, I was hurt, emotion, that's what children do, right? Children do that. I would expect that from uh, school-age children. But when you grow up and you evolve and mature, then you should ideally have the capacity to say, Yes, I was offended. Yes, I was hurt. But I decided to embark on a different course of action because of these potential outcomes. You can have foresight. That's the difference between adults and children. We have the ability to foresee, to play out consequences. Our our level of abstract thinking is so much more developed. So I can foresee the consequences and how those consequences are going to impact my quality of life. Where children are very short-sighted. I think about only about immediately like a reprieve, relieving their pain, relieving their distress. But adults can delay that gratification and say, I foresee these outcomes if I engage in uh, path A, B, C, and D. That whole problem solving, strategizing is a mature, those are mature behaviors. Everybody got to get, get more mature. That's <laughs> you Grow can't up. just blame it on what happened in your past. <laughs> right. Because we all have a past. We all have yes. a past. Mm-hmm. Who hasn't been hurt, left, rejected, <laughs> yelled at, a belittled? Who hasn't, ex- who hasn't experienced those things? Everyone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we use that to kind of hold us back a little bit because it's like, oh, you know, I fear rejection or I fear, you know, how, as a as a, a person who is a uh, uh, a person, a clinical psychologist. What are what are your ways in how to deal with some of those things that may be blockers for our potential growth in terms of whether it's a career growth or our going out, writing that book, or doing that, going out and putting yourself out there and you know joining that play or whatever it is that you kind of hold yourself back from doing. What is it? For you, in, as a as a clinic, what was some, are some tactics or some ideas in terms of how can we, you know, get better at, at not using that as, as a well, well, stop personalizing everything, right? So maybe you got rejected. Maybe you're not ready. You know, we take rejection mm-hmm. as uh, something really personal. We take rejection as... Uh, synonymous with being unworthy. Well, that's your interpretation. You have fused those two concepts together. Perhaps rejection is not this time, not this way, not with these people, right? Rejection is sometimes redirection. It's not always you're unworthy. And typically when we are rejected, we go to the place of I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. Well, that's in your mind. That's your thought process. So the first tactic is looking at your mentality, your thought process, and asking yourself along with the help of a professional, why is it that when I am rejected, my first go-to is I'm unworthy when this really could be for your benefit because they may not have, you may be too much for where you want to go. There may be some preparation on the part of the people or the environment or the staff or the space where you're headed. They may need to be prepared for you, right? So the rejection is not always 
you are unworthy. You're not good enough. It could be you need more preparation and it could be the people that you are eventually going to meet need to be prepared. It could be that the people in your life who you are in relationship with, they may need to be prepared for where you're headed. It's not just a one woman or one man or one non-binary show, you know? Mm -hmm. It is a lot of moving parts here. So rejection needs, it's um, a multifaceted experience and it has many layers to it. It's not just, no, you're unworthy. Yeah. Rejection is so hard to deal with. And I think people just, it just like you said, it just, you change the, the idea instead of putting it on yourself. You know, maybe thinking about, maybe like you said, it wasn't your it wasn't meant for you or the people that you're supposed to work with is supposed to happen. I think that not only rejection can be that, that barrier, but also not feeling that you're, I don't know. And what is that word that they use often? Imposter syndrome. Right? Oh, I feel like you're not worthy. Yes. 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 And I, that's a, that's one of those, uh, those uh, moments where it really holds people back too is feeling like you're just not who you think it was. I just watched the um, what was it, the Viola Davis with um, Oprah uh, mm-hmm. uh, episode and and um, or uh, Netflix series. It was really good, um, but uh, she kind of in a talked about a little bit of that, like feeling like you weren't that person, um, you know, that imposter syndrome type of thing without saying the word. But it's a very interesting I, uh, dynamic when you kind of um, think about it. Why Why do we feel so... You could do something for years and, and then what What triggers that feeling of am I, am I that... I've, I've had that in my own personal, especially when I teach or do anything like that. It's just like, I don't know. They keep hiring me to do this. I don't know if I'm the best person for the for the gig sometimes but it just or as a writer it's like I don't know if I'm really set to be that writer what why do you think that people may get to that point sometimes well uh there a few things I think sometimes people get to that point is because they personalize the uh rejection or not being good enough how it comes about is sometimes when you are rejected and sometimes when you're not chosen it's because you don't have a particular skill set, a skill or skill set, something that you can actually acquire. And sometimes instead of making the sacrifice and going out and hustling, studying, sacrificing, right? People will just say, well, you don't like me. I think sometimes it's a cop out mm. because people don't want to do the real work, mm. right? I think for some people, not all, but that's one aspect of it is that people would rather say, oh, well, you just don't like me. Rather than sacrificing, rolling up their sleeves, getting into that sweat equity, making a sacrifice, whether it be going back to school, finding a mentor, getting the certificate, putting the internship hours in, right? Getting hooked up with a group to give you feedback, doing the professional networking. I mean, a lot of people don't want to do the legwork, so they'll just say, hey, uh, just accept me as I am. And then the person will say, well, no. You're not it. And then the person who is rejected will then say, well, uh, maybe I shouldn't be here. Well, maybe you shouldn't. Sometimes I think when we are rejected, (laughs) it is a legitimate response to not being ready. Maybe you don't have it. Okay. 
And and sometimes maybe it may be the case. Well, you feel like you're not prepared or you're not ready. You just got to go with those feelings. You know, yeah. you just they, they just come with the territory. They just come with life. There are a lot of thoughts that we have that you can't get rid of. Some thoughts will go with you, and your your schema, that's like your script, will change as a result of you continuing to interact with your environment. So the more times you write and the more success you, you have in writing, your perspective about you being a writer will change. But if you just sit back and not write and expect your perspective to change, that's not going to happen, right? Yes. So a lot of <laughs> a lot of our thoughts will change as we continue to do the thing that we are afraid of. Then you then your narrative starts to switch. Right. Because you're getting feedback from this person. You're getting feedback from this person and you're developing the skill. So then how you perceive it starts to shift. But if you don't do anything and you just sit there and think you're not worthy, well, nothing changes and you're not worthy. Right. So do But I think we work. just all I think you have to do the work. I think it's very much a Western culture where we all win. And that's a huge fallacy. Everybody gets a trophy really is a horrible idea. That is a horrible idea. Everybody doesn't win. Everybody's not good. And everybody doesn't get a trophy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You just, and and uh, it's very American that we all win. We're all individualized. We all excel. That's, that's very much a Western notion. We're not all winners. We, we, yeah. we, it's impossible for us to all win. You know, second place is good. Third place is good. Average is good. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has to doesn't. Everyone can't have the number one spot. Now, if that's what you're striving for, then no, that's you know, why it's forward. one. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. why I was like, you know what? I, you know, because they always want to put people in these categories of leaders and followers, and I'm like, I don't think that everyone is meant to be right. a leader. But I don't think everyone's necessarily following. Maybe some people are just assisting right. the leader. I felt like I was more of an assistant of the leader because they was like, you're either a leader or a follower. I'm like, I don't think I'm a follower. But I don't necessarily want right. to have all the problems of being the leader and all the problems, all the stress fall on me. I'm okay with not mm-hmm. being that person. <laughs> right. So, And that comes from you knowing yourself, knowing your skill set, knowing how you... Um, knowing how you are able to impact those around you. It comes from self-awareness is a superpower. I posted that. Self-awareness mm-hmm. is a superpower. That comes with knowing what you are adept at. It comes with knowing where you're deficient. And it comes with knowing what falls in between. Oh, yeah, I love that idea of the self-awareness being a superpower because <laughs> a lot of people don't really are not self-aware because they don't really take that time to know themselves and know their their ins and outs i remember one time i had uh i think i was having a conversation with someone and they was like oh why don't you get into to banking and da 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 and i was like oh i don't i don't uh i don't like numbers and they were like oh don't limit yourself i was like i'm not limiting myself i don't like <laughs> numbers i don't think i would i wouldn't like that like that would be torture to have right. to do that all day <laughs> it's like it's not limiting myself i just know what i don't like so i know what i'm not gonna do um, speaking of like, you know, this idea of careers early in your career, in your profession, what 
what was some of the hardest challenges for you when you first started? Changing my mindset, you know, uh, thinking about certain concepts in a very scientific way. So what psychology does, we talk about love, attachment, abstract things like feelings, right? Feelings are abstract. You can't touch them. You can only infer them through people's behaviors, but they're not a tangible. They're not matter, right? They, they don't weigh anything and they don't take up space. So uh, what was initially daunting for me was coming to understand how we talk about these things in a scientific way. And that's what psychology does. We talk about things that you cannot see, but we experience daily, but we have to measure them, right? That's psychology. How do we measure attachment? How do we define it? You know, we have a different, a more difficult task compared to like the engineers or the architects or the architects, right? They, they measure tables, they measure wood, they measure material, they cut material and they construct. It's very concrete, right? So they don't have to define a chair. They know what a chair is. Uh, it's supposed to hold X amount of poundage an object, right? But for psychologists, we have to, okay, what's attachment? <laughs> Who attaches? Who doesn't? To what degree? <laughs> In what context? What a race? How much money? So we, <laughs> you know, we have all of these questions, the context around the, uh, the behavior. So coming to understand that, first of all, opinions and anecdotal information doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a because there's a lot of opinions when it comes to psychology. Everybody got an opinion. Everybody got an opinion, and it doesn't matter because that's not what the science says, right? And so the science behind psychology is even more rigorous than a lot of other science, right? I mean, if you try to submit a scientific article to an, an APA journal, you know, American Psychological Association, they have a 97 percent reje rejection rate. You also got so out of a hundred articles, ninety-seven <laughs> articles will likely be rejected. So you what? You have to face rejection. <laughs> yes. Oh no 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 no. They they they, they make no apologies. Okay. <laughs> Talk about rejection. It has a ninety out of a hundred articles, maybe three will actually pass the criteria because they're very serious. So I learned that, okay, science uh, is everything. It matters. And my pet peeve, it gets me so mad when, as black people, we don't demand evidence. It makes mm, me upset yes. when black people accept anecdotal information because you went through it. That's fact. No, it is not, sir or ma'am. It makes me upset that we allow anybody to talk to us about anything without questioning their background, their credentials, their expertise, their experience. As long as it sounds good, it's catchy, then we'll let people talk. It is very disappointing to me that we are too open, that we don't have, our standards are not high enough. When people give us information, we should be very selective on who tells us what. You know, yeah, just because wait for it on a meme. It's like, uh, <laughs> right. according to Dr. Such and such, that person is not even a doctor. Did you know? Did you look that up? Right. <laughs> that, person, not even a that person, you know, instead of we, we, we are kind of foraging through life based on backyard barbecue info. Okay. And oh, I'm not doing this because 
such and such said, and I saw on Instagram, and right. you know, because some just because someone puts a background and throws some numbers up there. Did you look to see where this statistical data, where this quantitative data came from? Where is it coming from? Just because I was talking about uh, sex and marriage and, uh, and whatever at at the table playing spades and and Corona. <laughs> I hate to be stereotypical, but I don't yeah. mean that that's law. You know? Yeah. Um, exactly. And so I do sometimes get uh, persnickety when I love see a word. lot. <laughs> I love to use it whenever I can. I love that word. When, when people who have who are not credentialed and now they want to be like life coaches or these sort of Instagram yeah. therapists and, you know, they are trying to be motivational speakers when it's like, no, 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 no. Do the work. Mm-hmm. Apply. You want to be you want to be responsible for giving out information be the psychologist, do the work, know the science. This, this is a science. And um, I it troubles me and it, it gets on my nerves that black people don't understand that. The psyche, the study, the this is a science. This is a legitimate science. And I don't care what your grandmama said, your mama said. I don't care what they said around the pot of greens she was stirring. You know what I mean? <laughs> that ain't right. That's not right. That information is incorrect. Sometimes we pass on that information, incorrect information forever. Forever. That's like, oh man. So Four and five generations. Be like, oh, that's not, that's not how it happened. No. <laughs> Wait, what about this one? It's a favorite. I hear this still. 2022. Um, you know, uh, Uncle Leroy. Everybody got Uncle Leroy, Rodney. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody that's questionable <laughs> in the family. Right. Right. You know, we, we we hold on to our pocketbooks so our kids a little closer when they come around. So. All of a sudden, when he went away to a party, he was there was a Mickey in his drink, and he ain't been the same since. Right. <laughs> you know, everyone has one of those stories at one time. How about that's that. not the story? Then I get to, this happened to my ex-husband. I said, well, yeah, yeah. Well, how old? How old were so-and-so? Oh, around, um, I would say about 20, 21. Yeah. I, that's around the time when uh, people have their first psychotic break Mm. and that's more like psychosis it wasn't a mickey so i you know black people we tend to have all these anecdotal stories and folklore about mental health right there's autism uh and and when it comes to black people the psychosis you know there is incest there are all these topics that we have come to make these these leg these urban legends and these folklore stories about to sort of talk away the necessity the necessity you know of um you know mental health treatment Mm -hmm. but typically around 20 to 21 is when for a male um it's just kind of late they'll probably be earlier probably 19 a man will have a psychotic break if he is schizophrenic Mm. So yeah. that's, yeah. And so we'll hear, oh, so-and-so got to make it. No, so-and-so is suffering from a psychotic disorder. And, you know, we have today some very efficacious and effective psych- uh, psychotropic medication for schizophrenia that makes our, they, uh, makes them as lucid as you and I. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, it's really, you know, sad that we don't know as much but then still aren't seeking out the knowledge in the right 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 come on i agree with you it's like how how you you gonna complain but not seek out the information like 
you're complaining, but you don't want to know. And it's exactly. we call that we call that that ambivalence in 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 my world, right? You want something as much as you don't, mm-hmm. and it creates this huge conflict, the push and the pull. You lean in, but you back away. You lean in to the degree that you back away, and it's a lot of ambivalence um, around it. You know, we don't want to admit to the severity of our woundedness. Right. All right. So we have talked about the the things that we don't like (laughs) about certain situations. Out of all of that, you became a psychologist. You do this type of work. What are those rewarding moments? What are the things that you really love about what you do? Oh, my God. So I used to work with uh, in the forensic setting. And some of my best work was with group therapy with men. Now, I will put... Men emote and do therapy very well. I will say even better than women. Can I say that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Women are complicated. (laughs) I have, uh, I co-facilitated group therapy with men, black men, white men, mixed, mixed uh, men. And the great thing and the most rewarding thing is uh, having a man who Let's say older man, never finished high school, maybe has an eighth grade um, education. And after some months or some years, he can identify thinking errors. He can self-evaluate. He can self-reflect. Mm. He can perspective take. Right. And and you would think, well, can any, every, no, not everybody can do it. No, mm-hmm. no. It sounds easy, perspective taking. But when done correctly, it's very difficult. Um, developing empathy, learning how to problem solve. It is very difficult to look at your thoughts. It's not a skill that none of us is born with. It's called uh, metacognition. And so I remember this one particular uh, resident who was able to identify the different types of errors in his thinking. And he barely had an eighth grade education. I was like, yes. Yes. I felt, I was like, yes. But just to be it changed my life because I didn't know the degree to which men can emote. They can handle challenging questions. When they get comfortable, they are not avoidant. They challenge each other appropriately. They can handle hard conversations and not be petty. Um, they can pose difficult questions without fear of being ostracized by the group. They have a lot of pluses in group therapy that, that are very different from a group therapy setting when it comes to women. And men can do therapy and they do it very well. They self-evaluate, they self-reflect, they hold themselves accountable, they hold other people accountable, they know the language, they can do it, and it's not stated enough how well they can do it. Mm, I like that you said that, that you stated something that a lot of people don't think about. And and it is really good that, that you have had those breakthroughs and being able to see them do that type of work and have that type of growth so um yeah i just am so excited that you had the opportunity to come onto the platform but before you go um i want to do like a little random round i just ask a few questions just so you you know so we can get to know you all right what have you read okay yes or listened to that has inspired you Hmm. Most recently, I've been I've read Napoleon Hill, "As a Man Thinketh." Mm, 
And that, that's a classic. That's an oldie but goodie. That's been around mm-hmm. for a long time. And I so should put that in the description. Yeah, as a man thinketh, and it it's fundamentals. You know, it's the fundamental things about thinking. Very, 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 very good. Very well written. Very to the point. Very concrete. Very directive. And that's my most recent. I have The Alchemist, and I'm, my, my next read is going to be The Alchemist. But my latest read, like I said, that I really enjoyed was As a Man Thinketh by Napoleon Hill. Okay. I'm I like sure that. that's the, yeah. Uh huh. All right. Okay. Um, what are some things, because we talk about, especially we had this conversation about being in the black community, what are some things you had to un learn oh oh my god i think i'm sorry the the author was james allen james i thought allen? it was yeah i think it was james allen on a point one of those we gonna yeah. figure it out we're gonna have the right one in the james chat allen. so the people can have yes have the right one in the chat forgive me people in the chat <laughs> we'll put it in the description we, we, we good. we're good forgive me people in the chat <laughs> you know what i said Chad, um, i'm so used to zooms but in the description <laughs> So, what are some things you had to unlearn? Um, to shut up. Okay. Stop talking. <laughs> Learn that listen, listening is better than talking. Mm-hmm. I think. I always have an good. opinion. Mm, I think a lot of people need to learn that one. <laughs> I have an opinion. Lessons about everything. unlearned for some. <laughs> <laughs> My opinions have opinions. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I never just have an answer. I have a whole dissertation. Nobody. Sometimes nobody it don't call for all that, girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I'll it'll be some you'll see something and I'm like I have a whole blog wrote I wrote and then I'm like nobody asked me. Nobody <laughs> asked me for all that. Nobody asked me for all that. Shut up. I was like, yeah, Let me learn to shut up is hard. You know, but just because you think it, that doesn't mean that automatically somebody's interested in it. That is true. And then, then you will find yourself in a whole situation. You yeah. Open up a can of worms. You didn't even ask. Nobody asked. And you could have just kept quiet and held your peace. That's why they yep. called the peace. Hold it. <laughs> Maintain your peace. <laughs> well, speaking of peace, um, if you could uh, sum up your mood or life in a song right now, what would it be and why? Mm. I'm a hopeless romantic. <laughs> I love Gregory Porter's uh, song. What is that song? You you like Gregory? I Porter? love I love Gregory Porter. It's gonna Which, be my wedding song. Um, does if song love is the answer. answer? Yeah, I think oh. that's. I think it's a uh, love. If, is oh, if love is overrated. Mm. If love is overrated, uh, came out in 2020. Um, but if love is overrated, that is my current new okay. song. I and like Gregory Porter. I don't think I've heard anything from Twenty. Oh, to listen to it. But you I can just love, love it. I'm still trying to figure out: does he is he ever going to take off that that thing that he wears around his head? I knew he did it. I think he said he had some surgery or something. But then it's oh. for comfort now. Okay, I thought that was like part of his look. Is it part of his look? Is that like now his it thing? Is, yes, okay. it, because I think it was a, a actual reason why he had oh, like okay. scar I would have never known. Yeah, because you know I looked that up because that's me. I need to know the answers. I'm like, what? oh, you're a researcher. Yes, I am. But please research this song. It's called "If Love Is Overrated," and it's not. It's not just about romantic love. I, I, I when I hear it, I think about. Um, godly love and familial love, mm-hmm. and it's 
is light, is true, is pained, and is passion, and is simple, and um, it's complex. It's complex. Yeah, and I love his sound. Oh, yeah, I it's just something. He, like, I it's, just it's a mature sound. Oh yes, and uh, I love even I love his rendition of Grandma's hands. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love Gregory Paul. That's going to be my wedding song if love is overrated. I don't even know if it's appropriate for the, that type of event. It's but okay. <laughs> I, don't even have a, I don't even have a fiance, but that's going to be my song. Yay. Sometimes you start from where you at. <laughs> it's just like, you know what? I'm going to start with the song and it'll go from there. <laughs> oh my gosh. It has been so, yeah. I've enjoyed having you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Green, for Gracing us with gracing us with your presence and giving us all this knowledge and some things, food for thought. Uh, we greatly appreciate you. Um, at the end, I always ask uh, if there's any um, anything anything you got coming up that you want to talk about, or if we want to find out uh, more information, where should we go? So this is your chance. Drop your handle. Oh, okay. <laughs> On Instagram, I am at Dr. LaShonda, D-R-L-A-S-H-O-N-D-A. On Facebook, I'm Dr. LaShonda Green. I'm only in on Twitter. I'm Dr. LaShonda as well. Basically the same handle across all platforms. D-R-L-A-S-H-O-N-D-A. In terms of what I um, got on my plate, well, my goal here is to be over 2.0. So I'm doing that. Love it. <laughs> I love Oprah, so I'm all about the 2.0. <laughs> I'm a 2.0. I would ultimately, I'm putting it out there, working towards having my own space, my own talk show, and I'm going to keep pursuing that until it materializes. All right, all right. Got plans, got goals, and I am here for all of it. Yes. All right, thank you so much again for joining us, and I just want to thank all of the listeners from around the world, around the country, who have uh, stayed tuned and continue to listen and continue to continue to listen um, every Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern, drops a new I drop a new episode, and um, just remember to get back to dreaming again, get our lives back together again. And I usually have an ending. <laughs> For my, but I forgot it. So I'm just gonna. <laughs> that's how long I've been away. I'm so sorry I've been away, but I'm back now. So um, we're gonna get back to dreaming again. And you all take care. Until next time. Thank you. Nikki.